The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. And we will talk about Coldplay tickets in the week trending, but we're going to start talking about Sinead O'Connor. We're joined by Aoife Barry, of course, who is a broadcaster, journalist and author of Social Capital, and Dave Hanratty, host of the No Encore podcast. Uh, Aoife, when you heard the news of Sinead O'Connor's passing, what did it do to you? I couldn't believe it. Like, she's been... She's been there for all of my life, you know, like I was six or seven when Nothing Compares to You came out and old enough at that stage to, you know, watch music videos and understand like the power of of a music video like that. And she's someone who I knew at that by that stage was really important because she became hugely famous because of that song, even though it was on her second album. And it just felt so sad because I think we'd all seen her life play out in public and her amazing memoir and rememberings as well. I remember reading that and just thinking how much she had gone through. Like I knew the sense of what had happened to her, but the understanding how much she had gone through and how much she had given to us and how much she had given to Irish women, because I feel like the generation of women I'm from have benefited so much from women like her who really had to push against societal structures so publicly in her case and that led us to be able to live lives that we live and as someone who has written about music since I was literally 16 it was because of women like her you know that I was able to follow women in the music industry and watch how they broke barriers and how they pushed against those structures and how they fought against sexism and it just felt such a sad um sad thing to 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 realize that she was only 56 when she died you know just, just on that starting point in music, and it may be something that maybe modern generation might not necessarily understand, although there's probably still quite a bit of it goes on, mm. that she actually was, she dressed as she wanted to dress. Yeah. She appeared as she wanted to appear, rather than being told by music record bosses, usually male, you must wear a dress or you must wear this in the way that they define femininity. Completely. And there is the, the story that she's told about the fact that when she was making her first album, her record label, Ensign, said to her, we want you to look like you're saying that we want you to look more feminine. You know, we want you to, to look different how you're looking. Don't wear your hair short, etc. She not only decided to go against that, she went out literally pretty much that day and shaved her head. And which looked is the stunningly ultimate. beautiful as well. It was yeah, pretty feminine. Yeah, I mean, the thing is that she... She cut such a, a fierce figure, but at the same time, there was that vulnerability to her too. And, you know, she was able to both be a really, really strong person, but also really open people up to her vulnerability. She had a huge sense of humour. All the interviews, if you read about anybody's interviewed her, they talk about how funny she was, how dark her humour was. She was more than just this, um, more than, a, you know, a, a singer, more than a woman. She was a musician. She was a protest singer, like she said. She didn't want to be a pop star because she said, to be a pop star, you have to be a good girl. I'm, I've never been a good girl. And she wasn't. And I think there's something really powerful for Irish women to see a woman who's not a good girl because we're, we were brought up to believe, be a good girl, particularly in the eyes of the Catholic church and I think that lesson will st- has stuck with so many of us to this day Dave Henry you're also a music writer and a broadcaster what is your assessment of her? Jeez uh, I mean like genuinely one of a kind I mean this is the trap that you fall into now because it's just superlatives because mm. that's what you say obviously in these moments but at the same time they do apply and I know that you know some people have come out and said stop using words like icon and legend and I understand why they're saying that but I don't know how else to describe Sinead O'Connor. I mean, in terms of my own reaction the other day as well, I got a text off somebody who just said, oh my God, there was no context with it. So I looked at Twitter, saw the breaking news, 
And my first reaction, my instinctive reaction for some reason was to call my mother and tell her the news as if it was a member of the family or mm. something or a close person that we knew. Because I think it felt that you did know her. I mean, everything that Eva said there, just how unapologetic she was and how in your face for some people, but always this kind of multi-layered chameleonic character, but at the heart of it, she was simply Sinead O'Connor. And she was such a firebrand and she rebelled against every convention. And I think as a musician as well, you could even make the argument that maybe she was underrated in terms of the output that she put out. Well, what do you make then of Morrissey uh, publishing a blog saying, criticising what he viewed as disingenuous tributes to Sinead O'Connor, saying... You know, basically, people didn't say it when she was alive. He's right in one respect. I mean, the music industry, which is what he's chiefly referring to here, is very parasitic and it let her down. Many facets of society let Sinead O'Connor down in life and music industry was definitely one of them. And you do have people queuing up, absolutely, looking to show you how much they're grieving. Who wouldn't have said it when she was alive? I wrote a piece for Joe.ie a few years ago after she was on The Late Late. And, you know, there was a lot of love for her when she was on there. But there was also people mocking her, you know, on Twitter and elsewhere saying, oh, she's crazy, she's nuts, she's whatever mocking her religious views, all that kind of stuff. And I made the point of saying in that piece at the time, you know, if she passed away tomorrow, we would rush to deify this woman. But when she's alive, she's sport. And that was the case for an awful lot of people. And I wasn't the only one making that point. We could see it. It was plain as day. You're always going to have a level of hypocrisy here. Listen, Morrissey's Morrissey, and he says a lot of Morrissey things. But in this situation, I think in a large part, he is correct. What do you think, Aoife? Because we, last night, we actually briefly discussed this with Brian Lloyd last night as well. And Brian had been gushing about the Nothing Compares documentary when he reviewed it for us on Mm. the programme previously. And I know both at the time when the book came out in 2021 and the documentary, again, both D. Reddy here and John Cadell, they've used every opportunity to talk about how brilliant Sinead O'Connor is, her voice, how important a figure she has been. So it was mixed. I understand exactly where Dave is coming from, but there were people prepared to speak speak up on her behalf when she was alive. Yeah, I mean, they definitely were. I mean, like like Dave's saying, there's there's, there's elements that Morrissey is correct about in that when people pass away who have been heavily criticised, some people who criticise them will turn around and say, oh, I thought they were a legend. And that is very hypocritical. But I do think the majority of people that are talking about Sinead O'Connor now had that understanding of what she stood for and who she was. I think you're probably talking about broader you know, sectors, like say the media, right? If you look back at any of the interviews she did in the 1990s or even after what happened in, in the U, in the US, um, you know, when she tore, tore up the photograph of the Pope on SNL, like the interviews that talked to her are really in, in awe of how amazing she is and what a great talent she is. But they also do say things that might be sexist, like why did you shave your head? Or they might say things that they feel is provocative. So it's the so idea. So there was also thing last night going around, the actor Joe Pesci sort of disgraced himself the week after Horrible, yeah. on Saturday Night Live. is still available to see where he basically, you know, said if he'd been there the previous week, he'd, he'd hit her. Yeah, I mean, the comments that were, that comment in particular, I remember seeing it in, in the documentary you're talking about, directed by Catherine Ferguson, and just being like, oh my God, that was on American TV, with like millions of people watching it. It was acceptable to say that about women up to very, very recently. The Me Too movement only happened in 2015. Um, so I do think Morris is right to an extent that there are, of course, people out there and there are sectors of the media out there who would have loved to make fun of her, particularly in the last number of years, and now won't see any of that. And I think when somebody dies there is always that sense of kind of a hagiography is kind of made of people to an extent but Morrissey also we have to remember it's coming from the point of view where he feels very misunderstood because he feels that his opinions which were not at all held um, by Sinead O'Connor and in fact are the complete opposite to how she thought um, he feels that he's been you know marginalised because of stuff that he has said in, in recent years and a lot of his fans have 
overturned against him because of things that he says and his kind of reaction to particular topics. And that's what he's coming from. He's trying to say, I'm like Sinead, people misunderstand me. But... uh, He's not like Sinead. His opinions are very, very different or they're not um, maybe the open-minded opinions that she had. And so that's why what he says is very loaded and can't really be read, I think, as a very straight assessment of how people actually did treat, treat Sinead, although we know she was most definitely treated badly. I mean, there were people literally steamrolled over her CDs um, after she, um, after after the Pope incident. You know, she was banned on many different radio stations. But I'm sure those people aren't turning around now and maybe saying she was brilliant. I don't know. Okay. We have a special program at seven o'clock this evening here on Today FM. It's a one-hour program that's been put together uh, mainly by John Cadell, but with help from others, uh, which I present. And it looks back at her life and listens to her music. So that's coming up after seven o'clock. And separately, if you do, if you missed it yesterday, uh, we did a special tribute, which was based on her own words and her own voice and her own singing. It ran out yesterday from about 25 to 5 until 5 o'clock. It is available as a podcast on the TFM website or wherever it is you get your podcasts as a last word special. So if you want to hear more about Sinead O'Connor, we'd like you to go to either one of the two of those, either that podcast or tonight's radio show at 7 o'clock. Let's move on a little bit. And uh, Coldplay. Coldplay tickets. Do you have your Coldplay tickets? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, Do you I, want Coldplay tickets? Sure, have you got some? <laughs> no. By all means, yeah. I'd love to go. But I didn't even try to get into this Ticketmaster ordeal, this fiasco that we saw with Taylor Swift in recent times and now with Coldplay as well. Um, I, well. I should say as well, one thing I love when this happens, the amount of people who say stuff like, oh, I wouldn't go see them if they were playing in my back garden. Grand. 320,000 people will because they've sold out uh, Croke Park four times now uh, for this Music of the Spheres tour next year. And yeah, Lots of anguish and and trauma by people who tried to get tickets and found themselves in a queue where they were 200,000 200, person in the queue, maybe got to the top and then all of a sudden a glitch happens or something and they're gone completely. A friend of mine texted me today a screenshot of his and he was number, I think, 1883 ahead of him. And he was like, I'm optimistic. I think I'm going to do it. Five minutes later, I get a text saying, no, I just got bounced out. I think he ended up paying 320 euro for the VIP package. That what? Was all, that was all that was left. Yeah. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Sorry, 320 euro for two tickets? For one, one, just for one, yeah, and like that's the price of a festival, like a three-day festival somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, as well, at least for this person in particular, they're Dublin-based. Think about people who have to travel in, get accommodation. There's going to be gouging on the hotels. Uh, fair play to Coldplay, hell of a draw. But I think we have a huge problem with Ticketmaster at this moment in time, and there's no regulation. This isn't new. This goes back but years. How, it, how is it done in other countries where presumably they have venues with eighty thousand tickets per night to sell? Well, Do they if, have these problems. As if well? you're living in the US, it's worse because in the USA, Ticketmaster. Um, and Live Nation are basically the same company and they have a thing called dynamic pricing and tell you if that comes in in Ireland people will be very unhappy because dynamic pricing means a portion of the tickets that are for sale in a venue and don't forget as well in the US Ticketmaster might own the venue or be involved in the promotion for the venue also so it's not just involved in selling the tickets Um, but with dynamic pricing a portion of the tickets are under that system and it means that the more demand it's like surge pricing with Uber the more demand there is for the tickets the higher the prices go up so you literally could have a thousand euro ticket thousand dollar ticket for sale. Yeah, but then presumably people that have more sense wouldn't pay that, and then the price would have to fall back. No, unfortunately they do, and that's why if you if you like, it's such 
if you do any reading on the, on the Ticketmaster stuff in the US, you feel actually like we have a lovely time in Ireland, even though it's <laughs> so bad here because there this has been going on for years. And the problem is when you've one company that has a lot of ownership over a particular area, there's no competition there in terms of ticket pricing. So when Ticketmaster is such a big company, they just I mean there isn't really the option there for, okay. for people to turn to other companies. Um, Who's buying all these tickets? Because you keep hearing about people having to struggling with their mortgages as interest rates go up and you have inflation has taken hold and you have the massive increases in gas and electricity prices and yet Coldplay can sell 320,000 tickets. Riddle that one for me. Well, I mean, I think that they have mythical status for some people on this island. I mean, that gig mm. that they played in Croke Park, was it 2016? I wasn't... 2017, I think. Uh, thereabouts, yeah. Anyone I know who's been to that show speaks about it as if it was a religious experience. Uh, they put on a hell of a show and it's a rare opportunity to catch them when this tour was first announced because they're doing the whole you know, the carbon emission thing we don't want to, and which they missed, by the way, great one. But <laughs> Ireland was left out and we wondered if that was why. Now they're here four times. Um, they're still a massive draw. I think people are just looking at that being like, well, look, listen, it's a year away. I'm kind of buying myself a Christmas present here or something. I don't want to miss it, especially with the word of mouth off the last gig. And it should be said as well, you know, even if you're not that big of a fan, it is a hell of a show. They do put on an incredible stadium-sized performance. A two-hour show, at least, you will get bang for your buck, but it is, as Aoife says, it is out of control from the actually getting to the gig. Bang portion. for your buck at what price? Because I've had people text me today as well into the programme who jumped out of the queue when they realised they were going to be charged over 400, 450 euro mm. a ticket. Some tickets were for sale at 900 euro. Uh, we're supposed to have these regulations for the secondary market as well, but I don't know how enforced that's been. I should say as well, to call back to my friend who paid the 320 euro in his case, he did say that this has actually taken some of the joy out of it. You know, yeah. like he feels fleeced. Uh, like even though he went through the process fair and square, he, like, you know, I'm sure when it comes around, it'll all be forgotten. But for now, people are actually, even people with tickets are kind of upset. Yeah, and I mean, we live in a country where there's not that many massive stadium gigs that you get every year, you know, and particularly some at, at Croke Park, which is such a massive venue. So people want to go see a spectacle, like you're saying. They, they are willing to, they want to have a nice life. People, if they have a little bit of money, they might put it aside to go to a gig. And unfortunately, going through, like jumping through all these hoops and it being really stressful and feeling feeling kind of bad about it just really does sour for people Are you going to it? Um, I got tickets uh, through a pre-sale from my mum but um, I, so I might I might end up going I might end up going to it That doesn't I sound love their first album but I don't like the rest it? of their music I listened on Walkman to their first album on a holiday um, when I was 16 and just loved it but like they're not really a band for me so there my mum many, loves them There so. are many people who say the first two albums are by far the best and it's sort of downhill from there Yeah like they're a stadium band now and that's fine That's great. Like, they make great stadium songs it's just not really my, my cup of tea Sorry being snob. <laughs> Take a break. Aoife Barry and Dave Hanratty are staying with us for the week trending. We'll have more after this. Week trending with Aoife Barry and Dave Hanratty. So e-cigarettes apparently are causing a new health condition dubbed vape tongue. What's that? Uh, it sounds like a TikTok trend or something, doesn't it? But uh, <laughs> doctors insist it's actually very serious business. Um, the the vape, which is such a, a weird modern kind of accessory. and Do you vape? No, I don't. Um, I don't smoke either, though. But I mean, like, uh, it is, I, I think it's been marketed very, very strongly to the youth, this this thing has. And like, you know, all the colours it comes in. And oh, there's the Lana, flavors. The flavours. And there's Lana Del Rey with one. Isn't she cool? Um, but doctors are saying that if you vape excessively, uh, you will end up with vape tongue, which essentially is a discoloration of the tongue and also losing your sense of taste 
So if true... And be constantly thirsty as well, apparently. Yeah, so if true, uh, maybe best to cut back on them. But I think uh, there's always a, a vape in e-cigarette story every other month about people trying to ban them and get rid of them forever. And I don't know if that's actually going to happen, but mm-hmm. policing is apparently, you know, all kinds of regulations are coming. But I, I don't know, I, 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 I don't see people... All I see is more people using them, so... Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about, about vapes, like you were saying there, Dave, about how they're targeted um, towards young people, even though the companies deny that this is the case. But you often see the disposable vapes littered across the pavement and they all contain a lithium battery. You know, it's like the fact that these products are actually really adding to refuse in Ireland to waste and you can't recycle all of them. I think that's one of the the things that isn't necessarily talked about in the discussion um, about them. And the idea that they taste really nice and they smell really nice, they have these lovely flavours, there's something kind of sinister about that to me because it's clearly trying to make them really attractive to people. And also, you know, you can understand, I, I've never smoked, but anybody know who uses them? I mean, they have really legitimate reasons for using them. They don't want to smoke cigarettes and vapes are a lot more um, attractive and much, much more convenient and easy and they taste nice. But I think the the focus on young people with it, the bright colours, the flavours, etc., does lend a certain element to them that isn't great and I think something like vape tongue it's not, not a surprise if that is an actual issue that, that consuming these a lot which must be easy to do um, can have an impact Dave Hanratty something we spoke to Brian Lloyd about as well on Wednesday evening just before the news broke about Sinead O'Connor and that was Kevin Spacey being acquitted of trials of sexual assault or charges of sexual assault against four men in London now that he has been acquitted and that he also successfully defended a civil case in the United States should he be allowed back to work? Oh God, on the spot. Um, well, he's saying he's been cancelled. You know that favourite word that we all use, and you know such examples of his cancellation included being the guest of honour at an Italian ceremony, and you know being taken to football games, and still getting to make movies. He, he was canned for the final series of House of Cards, the fifth series on Netflix, and has suffered badly without his presence. That's well, I was going to say blessing in disguise because I wouldn't be a fan of that show myself. And like I should say at this juncture, like when was the last time Kevin Spacey made a good movie? Genuine, genuine question for for everyone listening right now. Uh, margin call. That's, that's my answer as well. And that's 2011, so yeah. that's a long time ago. And that's a brilliant movie. Very, very good film. Um, before that, uh, I don't know, Is it? would we go as far as... What about as? Baby Driver? Uh, terrible, absolutely terrible. I like Baby Driver. Garbage, absolutely garbage. Oh. I mean, like, um, you could maybe give him Moon, which he does a voice in 2009, but before that, I'd say post-American Beauty, that career just like went down real bad. So I don't think we're missing too much without new Kevin Spacey movies in the world. Should he be allowed to go back to work? Well, I guess technically, legally, yes, but... I think that he's too toxic and I think that some people will absolutely work with him, but it will be in a limited capacity. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Hollywood responds to it because he's undoubtedly got people on his side in terms of people who want to see him back on the screen, who are willing to work with him and who don't believe that the case, which obviously he was found not guilty, um, you know, damages him in some way. But there will be some people who, you know, will have paid maybe close attention to what's been said about him, who will feel uncomfortable about working with him um, because the details given in, in the court case. And, you know, Hollywood isn't a place that cancels people very easily. It was interesting to see the the really intense, you know, like activity around removing him from the film that he was um, that he was starring in at the time of the initial um, allegations and how quickly people moved and again this is just post Me Too where there was a very um, you know heavy sense of people really wanting to correct any um, any behaviour that people were alleged to have done um, I don't think you'd maybe see that today in, in the same way but it will be interesting to see whether he survives all of that and whether he does continue I mean he's someone whose reputation will continue in a negative way I think in, in many circles anyway One of my favourite political stories of the week was how the National Party, Justin Barrett's crowd, which doesn't have a single elected representative in the country, somehow had 400,000 euro worth of gold 
Yeah. Which went missing and then was rediscovered. And it's gold bullion as well, right? So, like, the plot of an Indiana Jones film? <laughs> or, you know, maybe Die Hard <laughs> with Avengers. Justin Barrett yeah. has Raider of the Lost Ark. It's, oh, it's very comical in a way, but, I mean, like, nice work if you can get it. Yeah, and apparently... Well, hang on, most political parties don't have 400 grand, let alone 400 grand worth of gold bullion. That we know of, That of we course. know of. That we know of. Well, certainly not but, ones that don't have any elected representatives anywhere. Yeah, it's a dodgy story. It's a, it's a dodgy party. And I think, ultimately, Ultimately, it'd be interesting to see what happens because apparently, initially, it was reported. Well, we're missing this amount of gold bullion. It was found, and the Guardi assessed the value of it, and apparently, inflated the value of it. It mm. was a lot more than they thought. So, someone's quids in, but I'd love. To, yeah, they're saying if this comes from some benefactor, essentially, who has donated it sincerely, you can't do anything. You know, there's no illegality there, but they have to conduct an investigation. And again, I'm just like, who's walking around with these gold bars? That's what I want to know. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to find out where the source of the gold is. I mean, they said that they had the money because basically, if they, you know, if the euro or if they, yeah, if the currency, if the euro collapses, then they will have the gold there, so they'll be able to, you know, uh, ha- have their money if if everything goes uh, downhill. But I think the yeah the big question is what the investigation into the ownership of it and the source of it um, suggests and it'll be interesting to see whether it came from outside of Ireland or whether it came from inside of Ireland who was funding them. Apparently the United States is concealing a programme to retrieve UFOs. Should we be talking about this? I think we should all be apologising to Blink-182's Tom DeLonge, who for so long has been ostracised, not just by the music industry, but by the world at large. Isn't it wild, by the way, that this story comes out this week and it's like the 10th or 12th story, you know, in terms of everything else going on in the world? There's just too much happening. There's too much information going through. And I think in terms of this one... Maybe it's because people just don't believe it. Well, uh, th- I'll tell a, you why, but... <laughs> there's a whistleblower who does believe it, who apparently worked, you know, in the, the highest uh, caverns of the American military, who says that actually for decades, uh, we have in f- the US have in fact been reverse engineering alien spacecraft that they confiscated or something and there was a congressional hearing about this this week which opened up with laughter so it's still being you know treated with some frivolity but at the same time there is the increasing possibility that this might be real I don't know what to think I think the thing is because I, I was really curious about this I wanted to read up a bit more about it and the, the, the key with this I think with this particular um, person who's Mr. Grush is his, um, is his surname um, that basically his claims that he's been and he's someone who actually worked um, he, he was assigned to the National Reconnaissance Office which is basically the agent, agency that operates US spy satellites um, and he's had an interesting particular job you know interesting job he's not just some random person off the street but all of the things he said is that it's secondhand information it's things he has been told by people in interviews that he has done over the last four years I think there's 400 people he talked to and he believes he's a whistleblower because he believes the information they've given him so he's got no like primary information about the alleged appearance of UFOs Sounds like something from the X-Files so move to <laughs> yeah. X.com and Elon Musk <laughs> I love the X-Files and I change it. Um, yeah so Elon Musk's X.com has been blocked under anti-pornography um, laws in parts of Asia because apparently X.com uh, which is a URL the website address um, couldn't be accessed uh, by people in Indonesia, for example, um, because they claimed that the domain had a history of being la- linked to gambling and pornography, which which you know so shouldn't have been accessible in that country. Um, but before that, apparently, it was used as a storefront for PayPal and eBay. People might remember that X um, was a company that was originally PayPal. Elon Musk was involved um, yeah. in that back in the day. Um, so Twitter was rebranded as X, and Elon Musk loves um, the letter X, and he's used it in a lot of different. Um, companies he's involved in and he sees Twitter which is now X as being this um, you know everything site is what he would call it so you can use it for payments you can use it for videos you can use it for audio you can use it for this that and the other but the key there is payments so that it is basically going to be a commercial entity his aim is that he can make more money through X 
i.e. Twitter, by allowing people like you would um, with WeChat in China, allowing it to allow, to use it for payments and things like that. So allowing money to flow through it, allowing um, it, it to be a kind of more commercial entity. So the fact that it's been blocked in some countries isn't great. But, you know, I mean, looking at the rollout of X, it was just announced overnight. We kind of knew it was coming because he had suggested before he owned, um, before he officially owned Twitter. But it's just another one of the you know, annoying and embarrassing things that that's been happening to Elon Musk since he took over the site. And I think for users in general in the countries that are allowed to access X, it's just not a very pleasure place to be these days. Yeah, and can I just say, as a man who got a tattoo of an X to honour my late father in the last <laughs> 10 months or so, boy, <laughs> oh, am no. I delighted to be walking around with an advertisement for the worst human being on the planet right now. Um, Twitter has become, I keep saying this, I can't stop saying Twitter has become terrible because it is, at the same time, the other night in the Sinead news, at least you did see a, a space for people to kind of grieve yeah, lovely, yeah. and share anecdotes and incredible, you know, like you saw like celebrities at um, so it does have still have a purpose. It is good for breaking news, etc. But it's just the plaything of this madman. And yeah, it's just it seems like it seems like he's on a desperate bid to sabotage his own thing. But I've heard people say, no, actually, he's playing 4D chess and there's a there's an end game here and he, he knows what he's doing. I have yet to be convinced by this man's apparent genius. And uh, I'll be keeping my tattoo, but I hope that he changes it back pretty soon. Thanks, mate. And another listener says, you do know computer chips came from Roswell. And I then there's another that. listener who says... How come these alien yolks always land in the United States? It's a great question, isn't it? We don't have any other parts of the world where they claim that the UFOs land. They're fans of dynamic pricing and they think that it's actually the way to regulate the concert industry. Uh, One last one. I'm interested in the new concept of car shaming. And I see the boss of the Dublin Airport Authority has been car shamed by Finnegan TD. Uh, yeah, Fergus O'Dowd, a fellow Loudman, uh, has railed against this uh, €117,000 uh, car given to the head of the DAA for uh, recreational the for- purposes. The, form- the former head of the DAA back in 2019 as part of its compensation package, a three-litre diesel uh, Rover uh, SUV, apparently. Yeah, I love that it's a Rover, like, like, like a nice big giant car. You know, great for the environment and seems totally unnecessary. And yet another example, there are always all these incredible examples in this country of money over here that's used for this when we can't use money for this more important thing this guy gets to drive around in this in this flash car so uh, yeah I mean like I, I think it's right to you say car shaming uh, I, I think that's an interesting way of putting it I mean like I say shame away that's what I say Well I, I think it's interesting I mean um, you know uh, it was Dalton Phillips was, uh, was the, former, the former CEO and this was part of his contract of employment I think the fact that this was basically inherited from his predecessor shows that there's all these sorts things that are just kind of benefits in kind and that are part of people's big contracts when they're on big money working for big companies and that's just seen as normal in business and it's really only when you have an event like you, ha- you had recently with, with RTE that people put a lot of focus on the sort of thing and start to ask questions about it so there's a lot more scrutiny on instance or on you know things like this with Phil- with Phillips's car um, in a way that there wouldn't have been a couple of years ago. Nobody would have cared about this like, uh, you know, a year or so ago. So, you know, more power to people who do scrutinise things that they think, um, you know, are, that they want to criticise, for example. But I think, you know, it doesn't look good, but at the same time within a certain, uh, you know, cohort, it's very normal. Aoife Barry, Dave Hanratty, thank you so much for this week trending. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here.